is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Welcome, Faith Revisited listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have a very special guest, Craig Springer. He is the executive director of Alpha USA and an author of several books, one of just released called How to Revive Evangelism. We're very excited to have you here. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you, Molly. I'm very excited to be with you and with your listeners. So, Craig, for those who have not heard of Alpha or don't know, maybe they've heard of it and they don't know uh, what it's all about, tell us a little bit more about your work with Alpha and the amazing uh, ways in which that ministry is growing and how it's impacting the church. Yeah, Alpha is a conversation series for people mostly without faith or without a faith background or just questions about faith to dig into the meaning of life, the basics of the Christian faith over so pre-COVID over a great meal. Now, during COVID can happen online, but then a short film and a conversation. And it, it extends sometimes over 10 or 11 weeks. But the idea is that you can be listened to. You're going to watch some content about faith, but the group experience is listening-based, where Christians are trained, ask good questions, don't try and come and, and give great answers allow people to explore faith at their own pace. And we've seen a tremendous amount of people um, coming to Jesus for the first time or sort of restoring their faith in Jesus. And we were founded in central London some 30 years ago in sort of the heart of a post-Christian, secular, global, diverse city center. And it's just become an extremely effective ministry across the globe. We've had over 25 million people Experiencing Alpha. Just this last year in the U.S., we had over 500,000 people go through Alpha, and we're in about you know 8,000 different churches and ministries. So spread across any denomination you can imagine. Uh, who wants to share about Jesus? Wow, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I, I love the, the sort of the approach that Alpha has. It, it, it juxtaposes what a lot of people in their negative experience of church, and, and you just named it, it, is that it begins with listening, not with telling you what to think or telling you what's wrong with you. It begins with just listening and, and the experience of being heard. So that's that's a powerful thing, really is. Yeah, it's it is the number one distinctive. There are a few distinctives around Alpha. We, we you know we say it's a, a listening centered, um, community crafted, sort of belonging experience for people to explore faith. And there's a lot we can unpack with each of those things, which all are I, I do in more detail if we're going to talk about that book. But uh, we're trying to create a new front door for the church, and it's not to replace. Church services is not to replace personal 
uh, evangelism conversations. It's just to say that there are millions of people in our lives who won't walk through the doors of a church or click on to an online service, who don't want just a one directional being preached at moment. They really need space for conversation. It's trying to create that space for people and let the Holy Spirit draw them closer to Christ in that context of community. Mm, that's powerful. So shifting into your book, because this really is a nice segue. Um, I'd love to know before like you get into the, the research piece, what made you want to write this book? Oh, I, I mean, all the reasons that I'm sharing about Alpha, where you know I've been a pastor for many years in sort of large church settings through different eras, sort of the church growth era. I've been a pastor church planner in Prague, Czech Republic, so one of the most atheist nations on the planet, and just the challenge and the perceived dichotomy of what's working in a um, Christianized culture, so to speak, uh, versus a truly secular post-Christian context, and, and recognizing now that the American context has shifted from what many may have de defined as a Christianized cultural backdrop to now truly a post-Christian environment where people are, are growing up without any faith heritage in their immediate family. And as culture has shifted, the church has been struggling. Now, certainly some churches are growing and, and God is using every method of evangelism and church that we can imagine. So it's not to dismantle any of that, but just to say, uh, as I've interacted with you know, what does it mean to be an effective listener? How do we draw someone in a truly post-Christian context to faith in Christ? We're going to have to shift some of our methodology. And so the, a lot of the research in the book started from this reviving evangelism study that we commissioned with Barna as Alpha USA. And um, we found that 47% of millennial Christians, not non-Christians, millennial Christians reported that they believe evangelism is wrong. So they're not saying it's difficult. They're not saying it's undesirable. They're saying it's wrong. Hmm. And when you sit with that, you have to think, what is causing it? Do they not believe in Christ? Do they not love Jesus? Do they not love their friends? Uh, what is behind this? And so jumping a little bit further, we also found that 94% of those millennial Christians reported the best thing that could happen to any of their friends is they come to know Jesus. Hmm. So they want people to know Jesus. They have strong faith. It's just the methodology, the, the um, ways that we have handed down evangelism to millennial Christians who are very in touch with culture, very aware of the struggle, the polarization that they're facing. They're saying, it feels like you've given us a cassette tape to play for our friends, mm. <laughs> but we're all listening to Spotify playlists. We need a methodology that works for, for today and now in this new cultural epoch. Yeah, and I find that that younger millennials and Gen Zers have this incredible BS detector. Like they can smell it coming. It's a gift. And, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and so probably our older, you know, ways of doing evangelism just feels manipulative or, you know, they're kind of seeing through it. And so to, to sort of break that skepticism, um, uh, you know, that is both difficult, but I think can breathe a lot of life to the church. That's amazing about the research. Tell us some of the biggest insights. I mean, you've named some some incredible stats here, but but in your research and in writing the book, what are some of the biggest insights that you found that that local churches could really dig into? Yeah, and and I don't think just to piggyback off that last comment, I don't think church leaders are trying to lead with BS by any means. Correct. Right, but. 
there are just additional layers sort of covering the soul or covering the ears or the heart or the mind of a millennial and Gen Z audience in a post-Christian context that we have to be sensitive to. And historically, maybe it was just showing up to an altar call preaching moment and, and, and people would say, yes, now that is still working in many churches today. So again, keep at it, but others, it's going to require more time, more work, more listening. And I suppose one of the top findings in our study, just staying on this topic, is that the uh, number one trait that non-Christians are, are saying that a Christian possesses that causes those non-Christians to be more open to faith as someone who listens without judgment, mm. someone who doesn't force me to draw a conclusion. They say the least helpful or the the uh, most challenging traits that Christians possess, and this is all just data-driven, is a Christian who has all the answers to questions about faith and a Christian who's good at debating topics. And then you start to review what approach do we as church leaders or do us or, or as evangelists take? Well, for the past 50 years or so, it's been get really good at answering all the questions, get really yeah. good at debating all the topics and preaching at. And but culture is saying we want to be listened to. We want space for conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a new idea, though. It's the way of Jesus. He asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions in the Gospels. He only directly answers eight questions. He's almost 40 times more likely to draw someone into a space for conversation for listening. He, he, he does more ministry around a table of conversation than the temple of preaching. Mm. And again, it's not to dismantle our, our preaching context. We need them, you know, for discipleship as well. But if we want to win the hearts and minds of a discerning post-Christian audience, we've got to create more space for listening. And I think we can we can become better at that. And, and Alpha does that at scale and helps churches do that. But you don't need Alpha for that. You can just focus a lot of teaching and training on the on the power of listening like Jesus and and focus our relationship building using that lens of have I asked 40 times more questions than I've sort of brought in my truth proclamation. So that's sort of that major shift that I talk about in the book, um, moving to conversation, not just proclamation. Mm, that's really good stuff. And I think even as a local church leader, even building upon the listening, you know, when Jesus gets asked things, he, he even goes into storytelling where it's not so didactic. It's, it's, it's a way to sort of um, bring you into a story that, that that's a lot more approachable and um, less threatening. Or, or yeah. Less, and any, know. any parent knows as I'm learning now, as my kids are now becoming young teenagers, I'm, I'm like, it's so hard. I used to just tell them what to do. You know, and maybe I'd have to tell them three times, but now I have to enter this. I, they're not just going to respond to my directives. You know, I have to draw them in Socratically and, and, and ask them, <laughs> you know, how they would approach this. Or, you know, just the other day, I wanted to make sure my daughter was to clean her room after she came home from school and and i just caught myself because i'm so used to I'm like okay go upstairs and clean your room <clears throat> versus catching myself and saying hey honey what would be a helpful next step for you when you get home <laughs> and and i know that's that's a little minimizing but the idea is i think that we've been approaching in some of our evangelism um 
wonderful, you know, very intellectual and also full of emotions, adults, Mm -hmm. treating them like six-year-olds with our, you know, the only methodology we have is to preach at them, direct at them, you know, come to the service and listen to one person talk or log online and listen to this thing or sit down with me at Starbucks and listen to me, you know, tell you. And it's just not going to work with to draw people out so we can um, show them that they're loved and, and hopefully give them chance and space to devote themselves to Christ on their terms. Mm. Yeah. And live out their own individual, unique faith journey. I love that. Mm -hmm. Tell me this, Craig, how, how, I mean, the book's coming out now and obviously you started it pre COVID. How has COVID and this last year, we're, we're right here at pretty much the one-year anniversary of when things shut down in America. Um, how has this last year sort of shaped or reshaped some of your research or how the, these approaches yeah. work or don't work? Yeah. And let me add two additional very quick thoughts that are in the book because it'll help answer that question. It's that shift of, of create, it's a lens that I'm committed to evangelism. That's It's a key part of Alpha. And this lens we had to trial in the digital uh, spaces and see, does it still work? And so in addition to listening to that relationship building, belonging space, um, we also have a commitment to provide an experience, not just an explanation, an experience of God's presence. Mm. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. It doesn't say the gospel or the, you know, explanations of men or and women for the salvation of those who believe. It's it's shifting from thinking, if I just memorize the five ontological reasons why God exists and communicate them with just the right tone and tempo at the right time, boom, someone's going to say it's We'll Jesus. get them. Yes. Yeah. No, it's the Holy Spirit. And that's why listening and, and space for relationship, it allows the Holy Spirit to do that work. But so we introduce people to prayer, prayer experiences, even on their journey of exploring faith is a key part of Alpha. And then the final just thing I'll mention now is a shift from, from me to we, where it's a equipping those who aren't gifted. 96% of people in our church don't have the gift of evangelism. That comes from a Barna study. Uh, so how do we equip them for effective evangelism today? And that's, you know, creating small group community-based evangelism, uh, like something like Alpha, where we can equip volunteers to host and be a good facilitator, even if they don't have the gift of evangelism. And so we just said, will those convictions work? Listening, prayer, equipping the saints to do the work online. And uh, we never thought it would. You know, because we we also we have a big value of hospitality and meal and yeah. like, yeah, how can you do this without barbecue brisket or tuna sliders or you name it? Yeah. <laughs> or casserole. And how can you do it when you're not looking people in the eye? And how can you have an effective prayer ministry when you're not laying a hand on a shoulder? And, and uh, man, we were so surprised because we didn't have any other option, just like every church. We just yeah. had to do it online. And so we equipped and trained churches to run digital relational groups online. So it's not broadcast only. We didn't just post videos online for people to watch, but we created uh, Zoom Zoom groups Yeah. for people. Same invitation. Come watch a great documentary about life and faith, and then we'll have a group 
conversation where you get to share your thoughts and no one's going to judge you. No one's going to correct you. And, you know, over time, we'll invite you if you want to pray. And man, we saw last year over 500,000 people participate. Wow. Um, and, and God showing up. You know, there's three recorded miracles in the Gospels of Jesus healing someone when he wasn't uh, physically present. You know, think of the Roman centurion and some others. And, and God, the Holy Spirit is still possible in my prayer through Zoom to do a supernatural work in someone's heart and life across the country and electronic. So it's real powerful. So all those lenses worked well. And, and, and um, we did do an additional Barna study. Ben, you were saying how much you love Barna. Um, we do too. So we just released with them a, a journal around digital evangelism and all the findings were late last year. So it's all sort of COVID fresh learnings. And, and just two quick things to mention, 40% of adults reported they're more open to a digital conversation group about faith than an in-person conversation group about faith. Mm. Now, mm. almost the same 40% disagreed and said, I'm not more open to it. But the idea is 40% say, I'd be more open if you did it online in a conversational environment, not just a talk at me environment. Yeah. And then another question was, uh, about 30% said, I feel less judged in an online forum than I do in an in-person setting. Now we run in-person ministry and we, we, we always will, but what we learned was there are just some people who are more open to the dynamic in a digital relational environment, like a, like a zoom group. And some of it is you're just in the comfort of your own home. Um, some of it is logistics. You don't have to travel. You don't have to get a babysitter if you have kids. You've got a leave button in the corner. It's so empowering for a guest who's nervous about what, what's this crazy Christian thing I'm going on to, to have the ability to shut it down in an instant and it mm -hmm. not be too socially awkward. And even in, in some settings globally where people would be persecuted for stepping into a Christian church. They have been attending online alpha groups saying, I can finally do this now because I'm, I'm sort of hidden away in my own bedroom and I can wow. explore this Jesus thing. How powerful. Yeah. Before we proceed, Molly, I, I want to make sure we get in the show notes. I love what you said, Craig, that, that, that we're to provide an experience, not an explanation. Mm. Um, I, I think that is so much of what we've learned in hybrid ministry. And that's the way we sort of approached it from day one. Because so we knew we'd return to in-person one day, but you know, you, you build up these muscles of, of doing online stuff and then you build up people and, and, you know, people that, that, like you said, they're not going to come back. You know, Barna's put out numerous uh, uh, research things that, that there is a segment of people who have decided much like home gyms are, are the way they're going to go. Home church is now the way that they're going to go. So, so how we can, how we can provide that experience across two mediums, you know, and in person. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Because it's not, you know, even though Peloton, it's like, it's transformed the amount of gym memberships out there. But some people are going to go to the gym and some people are going to get a treadmill at home. Or, and that's what you're right. saying, the 40% of people more likely to go online. That's a huge percentage of people you wouldn't have caught if you only exactly offered right. in person. So you need that 40% on either end to help serve both of them. Amen. Yeah, we. It's really not replace. I neither are replacing the other. Both are mm -hmm. just different different mission fields. 
Yeah, we look at our church. Molly uh, knows she produces our live stream every week. She runs our cameras and she also knows I'm a numbers hound. And so she she makes sure that she checks how many YouTube video uh, watchers we have, how many websites, how many Facebook. And, and she hands me numbers at the end of every service. And what's fascinating is we've had we reopened in October and then closed back down at Christmas because things got really bad in Georgia all mm-hmm. over again. And we've just reopened again this past Sunday and our online numbers have stayed consistent. I mean, within a range, almost like clockwork. And so when you reopen, you guess, uh oh, some people are not going to be online because they're coming back in person. You know what we found? Online numbers still stayed consistent. That's so interesting. People in the room. So I told them the first time this happened, I said, y'all know what this means. Most of these folks in the room were not watching online. (laughs) They were waiting to come (laughs) back in person. So it is getting both groups, which now means that if you do it well, you've got a wider reach. You got a bigger net. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and some may, some church leaders may feel like I didn't sign up, you know, to be a digital media person. Um, And it is hard. It's a transition. You know, it does, the online space does break down the kind of parish, parish model or the neighborhood model of church where you may have someone from Venezuela on your call. Next round, they brought five five friends and then those five friends bought five friends and it's just like why wouldn't we yeah we didn't we didn't sign up for geographic only yep kingdom building um let's just follow the the, so well now i want you to go back out in the deeper water and you know likely his instructions didn't match with their fishing knowledge you're like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about but they did he said well because you say so we will and and the hall was so great and i just feel like we're in that moment as church leaders now and christians just saying let jesus tell us where to throw and here's a new here's a new sort of side of the boat digitally that that we're having to toss new nets in and see what god does yeah, you know, uh, I love the the analogy of Jesus and the the fishing boats too, because a lot of what Alpha is doing um, is sort of flipping on on its ear what churches have traditionally done. We sit in the boats and we tell you how good the water is. Come to us, come to us, come to us. And Alpha's like, no, Jesus got out of the boat too, and he walked the seashore. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what Alpha's doing is just walking along the shore, finding people where they are, um, listening to them, to their stories, family, inviting them to come along on this journey. And so, yeah. It's, it's, it is very much a both and kind of thing. Yeah. And I should just point out, you know, Alpha exists to equip the church to do this. So it's the churches that are running the Alpha course. Uh, we're, we're creating training and envisioning around it. I mean, our sort of flagship founding church is Holy Trinity Brompton, an Anglican church in downtown London, and is thriving with Alpha. And we're sort of in a global extension of just something that's working at one church in a global city center. And we just keep saying, you know, if, if anyone else finds something that works better, we'll stop what we're doing and we'll do that. But God's still using this thing. And so we do everything we can. We give it away for free. We never charge churches, never charge guests. Uh, but it's the churches that are doing the work to launch an alpha. And if you're listening now and you're wondering, hey, how can I find out more? Love, we'd love to help you at alphausa.org to learn how to launch an alpha. Yeah, and we'll definitely put that link in the show notes. We'll put a link to your book um, and, and also put a link to Barna. I'm a big advocate that I want people to spend the money um, to, to do the Barna Access Plus because that's where. Yeah, that's a great program. 
that's where the, the, the study that you mentioned about evangelism, that you're going to find that through your plus membership. So you're paying for it, but otherwise you would, but you would buy the study, I think for like 15 bucks. And, and it's, it's a, either a, a minimal monthly charge um, or, you know, the, the cost of two or three studies a month, but these studies are coming out. I mean, all the time. So it's really a, an important thing. I'm doing my doctoral studies um, uh, around hybrid church. And so your work and, and, and Barna's work, this is all foundational uh, stuff for how we can reach people across different mediums. So, I mean, I, I personally appreciate what you're doing and, so and, good, and this amazing work. Yeah, it's good stuff. So before we let you go, I always love to for guests to sort of pull the curtain back a little bit and tell us a little bit more about who they are as people. Because before you're a minister, before you're a leader of Alpha, before you're an author, you know, you're a person, you're a Christian, a disciple, uh, a family person, you know, all those kinds of things. So I would love to know what, when you're not engaged in ministry, what brings you joy in life? Yeah, well, certainly my family, my kids are tween teenagers. <laughs> So whatever I can do with them um, in COVID, they, they, they've been online school mostly. And I uh, realized, you know, they're basically just stuck at home. And so yeah. we, I, I signed up to be their, their PE teacher, their gym teacher. <laughs> so we've been to it every week. I take my son, I love rock climbing. I joined a rock climbing gym. We're able to go to, so we go a couple times a week and we go running and that's really fun for me. I live in Colorado, so fun is easier accessed yeah. for me who loves the outdoors. So um, skiing, mountain biking this summer, lots of hiking, uh, anything anything like that outdoors. I just absolutely love um, going out to fun restaurants with my wife. That's fantastic. What, what are, would you say as a leader, what are some of your foundational daily rhythms? Like if you didn't do these things, you couldn't be the leader that, that God calls you to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the basics, centering myself in prayer and God's word every day. Um, rhythms of rest that I've thankfully over the years have learned how to turn my leadership responsibilities off when I'm with my family and, and on my days off. Um, I think it's really important to, you know, to be on when you're on and off when you're off. And some people's jobs are more challenging, like fear of a sort of on-call pastoral care responsibility. But I still believe there's ways to ensure that you're carving out time for your own, you know, family and sanity. Um, exercise, physical exercise is really important to me. Not, not because I want to look pretty, but I just can feel the energy diminish instantly. My mind just gets mushy if I'm not regularly exercising. And I know I'm not trying to win any competitions either. Just, just enough, a little bit every day to keep the blood pumping, mm -hmm. um, keep my mind growing, reading, listening, learning. Now, all these things were put to the test during shelter in place. And still it's hard to create good rhythms now, homeschooling and, and such. But I, I think, you know, we all, we all need those good ingredients to stay strong over the long haul. Yeah. So one final question, I'll always love to ask this question of guests in, in an alternative universe, 
you know, any, anything goes, if you were not called into ministry, what job or vocation would you? Have? I love this question. I just <laughs> posed this question and we didn't talk about this to a, a double date with friends over dinner a week ago. So I'm fresh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I would be a film director. Nice. I just love the creativity, but at the same time, there's sort of a, you know, structured leadership to just getting it done in time and getting all the teams doing the stuff. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of my wheelhouse, but I love the, you know, creative idea of storytelling. I love the sort of start to finish idea of it too, having something that you completed and could sort of look at and bless people with. And um, I'm sure it's an insane amount of work, but I think that'd be fun. That's that's a great answer. I always love people's answers, and that's one of our more unique ones. So that's yeah. Good. What about yours? Or have you already shared it a number of times on the podcast? Molly, what what would yours be? I this is really putting me on the spot. I have no idea. I'm in my real life. I'm a business owner. I own a marketing company, and I get to do so much cool stuff with that. And I'm always looking for new streams of business and income and things to do. So um, I. I don't know. I'd do something for myself for sure. I mean, I'd be a business owner one way or the other. So based on the color coordinated bookshelves, I'm wondering if it would be like a Marie Kondo or interior design or yeah, an organizer, a professional organizer. I can't do it in my own life, but I'll do it in yours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If I could do anything else in an alternative universe, I think I would write the big, long, deep dive uh, uh, bio pieces on sports athletes and, and people involved in sports. Oh, fun. Like, like, I don't know if you know, Wright Thompson, he writes for sports illustrated. He's got some great books, but I would, I would like be a sports writer and, and do like deep dive pieces on whatever things in sports, but I want to be a writer about that. That sounds great. Well, Craig, this has been a great time. I really appreciate you giving us your time and sharing about your book. We're going to put links to your book, to Alpha, um, to uh, Barna, to uh, other things here in the show notes so people can go access them. Uh, but we do encourage folks to go buy Craig's book. and, and How to Revive Evangelism. Yes, How to Revive Evangelism and follow up with some of this extra research he's been doing with Barna. Uh, but we appreciate your time and thank you so much. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. And thanks to all your listeners too for giving us the time together. Well, what a great interview that was, Vince. It was really great. We commented off air. Um, our other interviews, you know, I kind of sort of knew the people mm-hmm. ahead of time. This was our first interview cold. Like we we literally met him five minutes before we hit record. And he was such a cool guy, such a great such a nice guy. Yeah. I loved his messaging, the story, and the fact that we need to listen as a core to evangelism and Christianity as a whole, like the whole message of listening is so important. And I love that he hit that home. And that's what the basis of his book is on. And also a lot of the research being done and the whole alpha group in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it, this is a, a, a foundational book. Um, and, and we also heard him say that, that a lot of it was put to the test with the digital platform as well, because, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's writing the book, but then has to run all this stuff digitally because COVID happened. And so for churches out there wondering, you know, would Alpha work in my church? Would this type of evangelism work? You now have two avenues that say yes, 
both ways. Um, so I would highly recommend, you also heard that, that they don't charge churches for trainings, mm-hmm. um, but if your church is looking for an, a new way of doing evangelism, go to um, alphausa.org. We'll have all those links in the show notes. Um, and certainly I want to plug again the, the work Craig's doing with, with the Barna Group. Uh, I think they're the leading church research group out there. And so there's so much that you can learn uh, that Barna's doing. And they've, they've amped up their work during COVID to sort of test along with us as we live into this crisis. How is this crisis affecting people's faith and, and, and how they express their faith? So, yeah, it was a great interview, very informative, and certainly a lot for folks to follow up on. Perfect. So his book, again, the name is How to Revive Evangelism. We will put that out in the show notes um, where you can purchase it and look more into it. He also has several other books he's authored. Um, I would just recommend you checking it out. Absolutely. We enjoyed this. Hope you enjoyed it as well and found some things for your local church to do, uh, to do some new things in evangelism. We'll see you next time here on the Faith Revisited podcast.